Many organisations inherently trying to understand behaviour. It's everywhere that we see it, and there is no such thing as a neutral design. If you are someone who is creating or making something that interacts with people in some way, then you are influencing behaviour in some way. Therefore, if we can better understand what those influences are, we should be able to design products that influence and guide people. Tell me why it's important that the government looks at this issue of behaviour change. Well, the funny thing is, when you look at it, most of public policy concerns changing our behaviour in some way. Explain mind space. Okay, mind space is basically boiling down a whole load of stuff um, that's been in the news a lot around behavioural economics, um, what influences our behaviour, and there are many, many different things that influence our behaviour. We've looked at the literature, and we've boiled it down to these nine effects, which we've then uh, arranged to make a word, mind space. The idea is that mind space is a checklist for policymakers, so they can make sure that they are taking account of these influences when they make policy. But I just wanted to give a bit of an insight into four practical case studies of what does this look like in, uh, in, sort of, uh, in practice. So a lot of the starting principles for applying these tools uh, within government and, and, and outside of that is how do we try and create more nuanced models and methods in the way that we go about influencing behaviour. Uh, and the four examples I'm going to try and give you today, hopefully there are, uh, uh, they resonate with you, um, either in their method or their particular policy application. So I'm going to talk through uh, some work relating to uh, energy demand, and some work related to creating more diverse, inclusive uh, and productive workforces. I'm going to talk in the health space, particularly about antimicrobial resistance, uh, and finally around uh, sexism and sexual harassment. Uh, three of these are sort of new results, so if you've ever been bored uh, but by me talking to you before, hopefully you won't have heard them because they're sort of fresh off the press uh, and the, the one in the health space is one that there are some really interesting, I think exciting replications and adaptations which I'll, which I'll nod to as well. And just to mention, the, the four case studies I'm going to talk about today are really sort of single trials designed really to illustrate what this can look like in practice trials designed really to illustrate what this can look like in practice trials designed really to illustrate what this can look like in practice. WCZRadio.com, Channel 1's Down the Rabbit Hole. It's the midweek edition. I'm Big D, and I will be your host for this episode. It is our hope, wish, desire that everybody out there is doing well, and thank you so much for tuning in. There is an absolute war being waged by the government, by academia, by scientists, by business for our minds. And we saw a lot of this in real terms during the COVID response. It's why it caught everybody off guard and why we talked about it so much. And it's still going on. I've got some examples later on that the propaganda is still there. It's still strong. There are certain aspects of the government, of the scientists who don't want to give it up, and they are perpetuating this as far as far as they can. I think most people, at least here in the United States, at least around me, have pretty much gone back to normal 
whether the lesson of COVID is learned and stays with us, that is yet to be seen. And it will be interesting as time moves forward and as a lot of these plans that they floated out there during COVID, during the COVID response, the planned COVID response, whether or not people will forget that, forget that ever happened. A lot of times when people go through trauma, they like to erase that memory. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to go back to that time. And therefore, the lesson is never learned. And it's my opinion that these institutions who are battling for our minds are banking on that, which is why it's refreshing that there are people out there who are doing wonderful journalistic work and exposing these groups and exposing their plans and putting it out there into the light for people to see. Whether they accept it or not, that we can't control. Before we get started into today's topic, which is a group called Mindspace, I want to thank all the good people over there at Friends Radio Network for carrying the show. And of course, let you know you can email us at downtherh at protonmail.com. Downtherh at protonmail.com. There is a group that is doing God's work, in my opinion. And I'm going to put this link into the show notes. And I, I, we're not going to go into all of it in, in any detail. I'll do that on another show. But it's called StopWorldControl.com. And it is a group of lawyers, so-called experts, priests, scientists, doctors who are working to unravel and expose this global attempted takeover by the elites. And I know people tend to get cross-eyed at you and claim you're out of your mind when you talk about a supposed one world system and that there's this group of people out there who are trying to enslave us all, but they are telling us the, those people, whether it be the World Economic Forum, whether it be the group of Davos, whether it be the elites, the Illuminati, whoever you, the, the Freemasons, whoever you want to pin it on. And in my opinion, they're all working in concert, but that's my opinion. But there are people who are working to expose them and shed some light on what is happening. I've mentioned this before, and I said this way back at the very, very beginning of COVID, before any of the lockdowns, before any of the restrictions, before the vaccine came, became a thing, before mask, any, before any of it became a thing, when it was first starting. I called it the great conditioning, and I still believe that is the case. It was an absolute trial run. We've had trial runs before. This was just the biggest, the most aggressive trial run mankind has ever seen. And it wasn't COVID that was the problem. It was the coordinated global response, all in unison, all in one voice, all at the same time, that was the massive cause for alarm. And it wasn't just the politicians. It was Hollywood, radio, TV, public service, states, countries, everybody. They were all on the same page for the most part. There were a few outliers here or there. But for the most part, they're all marching to the same beat. So I want you to go to this website that I'm going to put in the show notes. StopWorldControl.com. Go through it. 
It is amazing. And we will talk about it at some point in the future. And there is a PDF file that you can either download or look at. And it is titled Grand Jury Revealing the Agenda for World Domination. Lawyers, a judge, and top-level experts present evidence before a grand jury that the pandemic is a global criminal operation. The purpose, identity, and methods of the criminals are revealed. And it is quite astounding. Going through this, when I was reading through this, and and some of the things they talk about is psychological manipulation, the World Health Organization, the British elite, the crimes against humanity. Highly, highly recommend you go through this. One of the things going through it that I came across, and it's interesting because I've run across this several times before, and I have read up on this group. I've always found them interesting and frightening at the same time. And most people have never heard of them, which is why I've never really, I've never brought them up because we've all heard, and I did a show on the Tavistock Institute. And in many ways, the Tavistock Institute has been exposed. There's been books written about them. There's lots of archives and and detailed articles exposing Tavistock. And so a lot of what they were doing that was nefarious has either been pushed aside, farmed out, or they're doing it in, in secrecy and we just haven't heard about it yet. There's a group out there that I think is just as dangerous as Tavistock if they're not just a subsidiary of, of Tavistock. I don't know that for a fact, but they do the same thing that Tavistock's doing. So as I said, maybe Tavistock farmed out some of this stuff or maybe they just reopened that wing under a different division. I don't know. There's a group in England called the UK Institute for Government. And they describe themselves as a, quote, leading think tank working to make government more effective. And in 2010, they put out a document called Mindspace. Mindspace, uh, I will explain it in a moment, didn't really make a wave. Public ignored it. It wasn't reported on, of course. And it is basically their approach to cost-effective behavioral modification. And it was established as a new psychological warfare for the Five Eyes countries, which we've talked about the Five Eyes before, Australia, Canada, the U.S., New Zealand, and Great Britain. Now, before we get into Mindspace, there is a thing out there. It's a practice, especially here in the United States, that was introduced in 2008 called nudging. Cass Sunstein and Richard Thaler in 2008 wrote a book called Nudge, Improving Decisions About Health, Wealth, and Happiness. And this was implemented basically during the Obama era. And it's a theory that they use. What they call nudging is to nudge or push the population into the decisions that they want them to make. And in 2008, Cass wrote, The existence of both domestic and foreign conspiracy theories, we suggest, is no trivial matter posing real risk to the government's anti-terrorism policies, whatever the latter may be. And then went on to say, here, here are some things government can do about this problem. Government might ban conspiracy theorizing. Governments might impose some kind of tax, financial or otherwise, on those who disseminate such theories. Government might itself engage in counterspeech, marshalling arguments to discredit conspiracy theories. Government might formally hire credible private parties to engage in counterspeech. Influencers, you know, public figures, superstars, that's what they're talking about there. Hire these celebrities 
to tell everybody that they're crazy and you should go along with the current narrative. And then the last one is government might engage in informal communication with such parties, encouraging them to help. So instead of outright hiring them, because then there would be a trail, they engage with them, you know, offer them incentives. If you work for us, we're not going to go after you for your taxes. If you speak this way, you know, we'll make sure that you get more TV time, however that works. And so th in 2010, the Behavioral Insight Team which is the group that produced the Mindspace document, that is when they took this idea of nudging to a whole nother level. And, and nudging was bad enough. I, I'm not going to go into that. It's a whole other show. But that, that's kind of where this started, this whole idea of government creating these situations to control your behavior, to, to make us choose how they want us to choose. The behavioral Insight team describes their workers this way. Our international panel of world-leading academics affiliates, including Richard Thaler, winner of the 2017 Nobel Prize in Economics, Teresa Marteau, Director and Behavior of the Health Research Unit at University of Cambridge. We also have a formal partnership with Harvard's University Behavioral Insight Group and close relations with several universities, including Harvard, Oxford, Cambridge, UCL, and University of Pennsylvania. So, of course, they're letting you know that we're, we're smart and we're dealing with amazing behavioral scientists and, and these are all the experts. And a lot of this actually goes back even further. We've talked about Bertrand Russell on this program before. He was one of the a descendant of one of the oldest imperial British lines, a blue blood, as they say. And he was quite a prolific writer and was very much involved in trying to create a one-world system. In fact, a lot of his works are used by the global elites. He, was, he thought about this and was consoled about this a lot. And he wrote in The Impact of Science on Society in 1951, this is what he said. I think the subject which will be of most importance politically is mass psychology. Mass psychology is, scientifically speaking, not a very advanced study, and so far, its professors have not been in universities. Remember, now again, this is 1951. So far, they have been advertisers, politicians, and above all, dictators. This study is immensely useful to practical men, whether they wish to become rich or to acquire the government. It is, of course, as a science founded upon individual psychology, but hitherto it has employed rule-of-thumb methods which were based upon a kind of intuitive common sense. Its importance has been enormously increased by the growth of modern methods of propaganda. Of these, the most influential is what they call education. Religion plays a part, though a diminished one. The press, the cinema, and the radio play an increasing part. And so this is all about steering unconscious minds. See, what they're working on is not giving you all the information to where you can make a rational decision. What they're working on is, and it's not even subliminal messages. They, they tried that. There's a whole book out back in the 70s on subliminal messaging. They did try that. It didn't work. But what they're trying to do is create this psychological warfare to manipulate groups of people, you and I. And according to the Mindspace documents on page 14, this is what they say. In broad terms, there are two ways of thinking about changing behavior. The first is based on influencing what people consciously think about. 
We might call this the rational or cognitive model. Most traditional interventions in public policy take this route, and it is the standard model in economics. The presumption is that citizens and consumers will analyze the various pieces of information from politicians, governments, and markets, the numerous incentives offered to us, and act in ways that reflect their best interest, which is how it should be. As a rational, cognitive person, it's your responsibility to gather all the information. Carrying on, it says the contrasting model behavior changes focuses on the more automatic processes of judgment and influence, what Robert Kiadalny calls click-were processes of the mind. This shifts the focus of attention away from facts and information and towards altering the context within which people act. We might call this the context model of behavior change. The context model recognizes that People are sometimes seemingly irrational and inconsistent in their choices, often because they are influenced by surrounding factors. Therefore, it focuses more on changing behavior without changing minds. This route has received rather less attention from researchers than policymakers. They say tools such as incentives and information are intended to change behavior by changing minds. If we provide the carrot and sticks alongside accurate information... People will weigh up the revised cost and benefits of their actions and respond accordingly. Unfortunately, evidence suggests that people do not always respond in this way perfectly rational. In contrast, approaches based on changing context, the environment within which we make decisions and respond to cues, have the potential to bring about significant changes in behavioral at relatively low cost. So what they're working on is tricking. It's, it's an incantation. It's a magic trick. They want to change the context of the information that comes to you. This goes along with a lot of what we talked about on Sunday with is reality an illusion. They want to create this illusion within reality. They want to take away cognitive thinking. They want to take away all the avenues of rational thought and make you react emotionally to things. And that will change our behavior. And I'll give you some examples as we go. But I thought this was interesting. This is the MindSpace checklist of influences on our behavior and when to use them as far as making policy. Number one is the messenger. They say we are heavily influenced by who communicates information. And that is true. That's our fault. I talk about, or I have talked about, an appeal to authority. And we've been conditioned to believe Experts, doctors, politicians, those who are in authority. We've been conditioned that they are the experts. We don't have time to figure it out for ourselves. They've already figured it out, and so they're going to let us know. And then we just follow suit. And that is what they're talking about, the messenger. Also, number two, incentives. Our responses to incentives are shaped by predictable mental shortcuts such as strongly avoiding losses. And that is very true. We don't like pain. We don't like to lose things. We don't like to lose ground. We don't like to lose money. We don't like to lose anything because we're a gain society. And as humans, that's what we try to achieve. We try to gain. We try to move forward. Take away this whole carrot and stick. Like if you do this, you get this reward. No, that's not how it should work. They want to give you... If you do this, you will lose that, which is, again, taking away your freedom and pushing us all into this dictatorial system. 
Number three, norms. We are strongly influenced by what others do. Celebrities, advertisements, groupthink. That's what they're talking about there. Number four, defaults. We go with the flow of preset options. And so a lot of times what they're learning is, is they give us these preset options that aren't really options at all. Or the only outcome to both options is in the direction that they want us to go. The next one is salience. Our attention is drawn to what is novel and seems relevant to us. Yes, because as we live our life, what's relevant to us is what's important. So they try to find the most common denominator of relevance to the group that they're trying to move and manipulate that. Another one is priming. Our acts are often influenced by subconscious cues. And this is the same thing as nudges. They want to subconsciously nudge you in a direction. And usually how they do that is by emotional manipulation. We're all going to suffer. We're going to hurt somebody else. This is not what everyone else is doing. And they prime you in that direction. Another one is effect. Our emotional associations can powerfully shape our actions. Exactly. They play on our emotions. What are you emotionally attached to? Usually your family, your pet, your home. You know, we can be emotionally attached to all different kinds of things. And some people are, you know, irrationally emotionally attached to objects or things. But they try to find the common denominator, which is generally family relation relationships, and they target that. Also is commitments. We seek to be consistent with our public promises and reciprocate acts. So if they promise something to a certain group, let's just, let's just say the, the COVID shot. If you get the COVID shot, you get a hamburger or you get a free ice cream or you get, you get into this lottery. And so they have to be consistent. They're saying the consistency there is that they have to follow through on that because then it reinforces the behavior. And the last one is ego. We act in ways that make us feel better about ourselves. And that is true. There's nothing wrong with feeling good about yourself, but what they want to do is manipulate that to where you feel better about yourself falsely. If you recycle, you're doing a good job. See, they don't have to, they don't have to stand there and watch you do it. They're going to tell you that if you do this, then you are that. You are a good citizen. You are a good person. You are what, whatever it is that they're trying to get you to do. And we'll just use COVID again because that's the most recent. If you do all these, if you stay inside, if you wear the mask, if you stay six feet apart from everybody, then you are helping. You are a good citizen. Not like those bad people. You don't want to be one of those. And so they create this division. I mean, basically, Mindspace's purpose was to teach senior policymakers, such as businesses, politicians, and so forth, to craft messages that could harness the full power of nudging people's automatic motivations. They want to direct the population into this desired policy direction without requiring any kind of conscious knowledge or consent from us. For example... According to this article, most mainstream outlets have been framing headlines using phrases like according to research and scientists say. However, despite wearing a scientific veil, these are not scientific statements. They are appeals to groupthink. 
The statements are designed to leverage out our perception of authority and cause our mind to take a mental shortcut. Research on this work was done by Michael Cialdini, the author of Influence, and he explained that the perception of authority could be a powerful behavioral influence because authority is often perceived as a mental shortcut for people. Yes, because we've been conditioned this way. We've been told that they are the experts. And so we should defer to the experts. And if you don't, you're a science denier or you're a climate denier or you want to kill the planet, you want to kill grandma, whatever whatever the, the backside of it is. And this is all coming out of this Mindspace document that's been out since 2010. And this has shaped much of what we're seeing today. On page 20 of this document, the Mindspace document, it says this, we dislike losses more than we like gains of an equivalent amount. Most current incentive schemes offer rewards to participants, but a recent review of trials of treatments for obesity involving the use of financial incentives found no significant effect on long-term weight loss or maintenance. So an alternative way may be to frame incentives as a charge that will be imposed if people fail to do something. One recent study on weight loss asked some participants to deposit money into an account which was returned to them if they met the weight loss targets. After seven months, this group showed significant weight loss compared to their entry weight. The weight of participants in a control group was not seen to change. The fear of losing money may have created a strong incentive to lose weight. Therefore, policymakers could emphasize the money that people will lose by not taking an action rather than the amount they could save. And that all comes into this framing effect that they are using in these new presentations on how they present things to us. Even according to them, according to their text, it says framing effects refer to how the presentation of an issue, not its substantive content, can determine whether it is noticed and how it is interpreted. For example, Politicians and civil servants were more likely to choose a risky policy option when it was presented in terms of how many deaths it might prevent rather than how many lives it might save. And we saw a lot of this. Stay home, stay safe. Well, what's the opposite of that? Go out, kill people. Well, I don't want to kill anybody, so I should stay home and stay safe. So they send these messages out that we don't even really decipher or look into we just accept them at fact. Well, if I, if I stay home, I'm staying safe, and I'm keeping everybody else safe. And it's funny because I just read a report coming out of the UK that they're claiming they never said you would kill grandma. I played clip after clip of the CDC, the NHS, all of them, Canada, everyone saying if you go out, you are going to kill grandma. The governor of Washington State said it explicitly several times. Stay home. Keep grandma safe. Don't go kill grandma. In fact, let's take a look at the messages that were used against us for the increase of getting the vaccine. And this came straight out of the Mindspace textbook. This was according to the Behavioral Insights team. This is their, this was their, these were their suggestions on how to get people more efficiently and more effectively into getting the vaccine. Number one... Concentrate on helping loved ones. Helping loved ones tapped into people's desire to protect and support their friends and family. It made clear that vaccinating yourself can help your loved ones while being careful not to overstate the vaccine's power to reduce or eliminate transmission. 
Read that last part again. While being careful not to overstate the vaccine's power to reduce or eliminate transmission. They knew then that these vaccines weren't that effective, but they're going to push it anyway. And how are they going to do that? Well, one is to tap into your desire to protect and support your loved ones. Uh, I remember Trudeau in a speech came out and he said, they're putting at risk their own kids and they're putting at risk our kids as well. He says, Canadians made incredible sacrifices over the past year and a half. He was talking about the unvaccinated. They're putting at risk our kids and the risk of all the kids. He didn't say adults. He didn't say us. He said the kids. Why? Because it triggers an emotional response. We got to save the children. We have to help the children. According to this article, it says, moreover, in respect to two weeks to flatten the curve, we can observe the use of their timelines. They might give the example of time serving as powerful frame of reference for shaping someone's motivation and mental state. If someone is told they have one hour to write an essay versus two weeks to write the same essay, the emotional response and mental state will be markedly different. In this respect, virtually no one would have accepted two months or two years to flatten the curve. But two weeks was an initial commitment that most reasonable, good-intentioned people were willing to commit. And as we know, it ended up being two years. In their terms, the emotional response to lockdowns and the timelines for flattening the curve were then simply calibrated with new timelines used to reframe future scenarios and response. Absolutely. And, and we hear this around the climate change as well. We got 30 days, we have 12 years, we have 11 years. Given this 12-year timeline before it's too late, what are we going to do? We only we, we, 12 years, the world's going to crash. Well, what if we have 20 or 50 years? What if, what if they said we had 100 years? Or what if they said, hey, we're working on it. Given some time, we will figure this out. We all we need everybody to pitch in. No, because then it's not urgent. They need an emotional response. They need non-cognitive response out of fear or worry or some sort of care, then you'll change your behavior because it's, it's immediate emergency. It's right now. There were two follow-up books to this Mindspace document. One was titled East, and the other was Behavioral Government by the same group, same people. And the follow-up book, East, this was probably the, the main statement out of there that I thought was worth noting. And it was in the introduction. It says, in the early years, we often used the mind space framework. And indeed, some of the team were certainly central involved in developing it. We still use this framework. What we found in seminars that its nine elements were hard for busy policymakers to keep in mind. At the same time, we found in our day-to-day -day trials and policy work that some of the most reliable effects came from changes that weren't easily captured by mind space or indeed by much of the academic literature. For example, we often found that simplifying messages or removing even the tiniest amount of friction in a process can have a large impact. For these reasons, we want to develop a shorter, simpler mnemonic, the EAST framework. And that framework is make it easy, make it attractive, make it social, and make it timely. This is the propaganda. This is the machine that's pumping out all the information to you and I, whether it be from the health department, whether it be from the government, whether it comes from 
you name it, any of the secretary departments underneath the president or whatever country you're in that's pumping out all the messages to the people, especially in the Five Eye countries, this is where they're getting this from. This is the group that's driving them. Underneath the Make It Social section, this is what it says. Show that most people perform the desired behavior. Describing what most people do in a particular situation encourages others to do the same. Hey, everybody's doing it. What's wrong with you? Get on board. It says, similarly, policymakers should be wary of inadvertently reinforcing a problematic behavior by emphasizing its high prevalence. Also underneath, make it social. Use the power of networks. We are embedded in a network of social relationships, and those we come into contact with shape our actions. Governments can foster networks to enable collective action, provide mutual support, and encourage behaviors to spread peer-to-peer. You ever wonder why the White House is paying influencers to get onto TikTok, Facebook, whatever, and, and, quote, explain the Ukraine-Russian war? Because they have a message they want to get out. And that's the me- that is the message. You're not allowed to have any other thoughts on, on it. And then the last one under Make It Social, encourage people to make a commitment to others. We often use commitment devices to voluntarily lock ourselves into doing something in advance. The social nature of these commitments is often crucial. That's why they, they're trying to group everybody and divide everybody into these small groups because then you're held accountable to your little group, whoever you identify with. Whatever little group that you are being shoved down into, whether it's your neighborhood, it's your community, it's your city, whatever club you belong to, whatever, the goal is is to influence them, to influence you, and therefore you're held accountable to them. It's a very sinister plot, actually. Let's go back to Bertrand Russell in his Scientific Outlook. Another interesting quote from him. The scientific rulers will provide one kind of education for ordinary men and women and another for those who are to become holders of scientific power. Ordinary men and women will be expected to be docile, industrious, punctual, thoughtless, and contented. Of these qualities, probably contentment will be considered the most important. In order to produce it, all the researchers of psychoanalysis behaviorism, and biochemistry will be brought into play. All the boys and girls will learn from an early age to be what is called, quote, cooperative. For example, do exactly what everybody else is doing. Initiative will be discouraged in these children and insubordination without being punished will be scientifically trained out of them. So this is nothing new. They've been working on this for a long time. And that's why we have all these different groups like the Tavistock Group, think tanks, these off-market scientific, supposedly scientific, and behavioral modification places. And while you and I are going about our life, and whatever it is that you're doing, whether you're working, whether you're going to school, your hobby, whether you're retired, whatever you're doing, you're going about your life, and you're trying to live it the best you can. You're trying to stay informed. You're trying to be a, a good person, a good citizen. They are working behind the scenes on how to pull the strings to manipulate all of us into where they want the world to go. And I think we've made a pretty good case in our last shows, and I will continue to make this case, that they wanted to go to this one world system where they control everything. And just like according, according to this, that the average citizen will be basically docile, will be industrious, punctual, thoughtless, and contented. It will be drones. 
And we'll just do as we're told. And can't be insubordinate, can't ask questions. And that's where they want it to go. Also, according to Bertrand Russell. And the reason I keep bringing up Bertrand Russell is because this group quotes him extensively in their paper, this mind space, this, this book that they wrote. They, they draw a lot from him because he set these wheels in motion. And he was kind of the modern father of this behavioral change movement. We, if we just told them what we were doing, they would revolt. There's more of them than us. But if we can change their behavior and change their attitudes and, cha- and, and guide them into a way, then they will go there willingly. So according to him, he, Bertrand Russell, he said this in 1951, the social psychologists of the future will have a number of classes of school children on whom they will try different methods of producing an unshakable conviction that snow is black. Various results will soon be arrived at. First, that the influence of home is obstructive. Second, that not much can be done unless indoctrination begins before the age of 10. Third, the verses set to music and repeatedly intoned are very effective. Fourth, that the opinion that snow is white must be held to show a morbid taste for eccentricity. But I anticipate... It is for future scientists to make these maximums precise and discover exactly how much it costs per head to make children believe that snow is black and how much less it would cost to make them believe it is dark gray. And although this science will be diligently studied, it will be rigidly confined to the governing class. The populace will not be allowed to know how its convictions were generated. When the technique has been perfected, Every government that has been in charge of education for a generation will be able to control its subjects securely without the need of armies or policemen. So you can see where this entire theory started. And Mindspace is still in operation. It it is a flying beneath the radar program in England that is controlling a lot of Politicians in the five eyes, what they discover, they pass on to politicians and the politicians implement it in trying to make change, societal change, governmental change. And all of it is, if you just look at it as a collective, it's all pointing in one direction. Globalization, one world system. And these are things you need to be aware of. I highly recommend that you look into this mind space even more. You can order the book. There's a PDF file where you can just, you don't need to order it. You can just read through it. And it's basically trance warfare. They are in a battle for our minds. And they have waged war on us. It's really interesting because when you read through what they are saying, and then you watch the news, or you read the paper, or you watch the Propaganda that comes out around you from the government, it becomes much easier to disseminate exactly what they're doing. And it becomes harder to explain to those who don't see it because it is such a, an emo, it becomes such an emotional thing for people. And we saw this, you know, let's go back to the COVID. We saw this. People's brains completely broke. There are people who still are freaked out and, and can't get over it and are upset that you are over it, or that others are over it. I mean, earlier this week, 
here in the United States, they finally uh, a judge in Florida finally dropped the the requirement for mask on plane. Everybody celebrated. Well, most people celebrated, but there was this there's a faction out there who immediately wrote articles and went on TV and went on radio decrying this is just the, the, the worst thing in, in humanity. It's it, it's going to kill everybody. It's the wrong time to do it. Should never be done. And why? Most places in the United States and, and even in most of the world now are pretty much back to normal as far as like going outside, going into stores, going to ball games, going to concerts, whatever. But see, the feds can control the airline industry and, and buses and trains and everything. So they wanted to keep that going. And how did they frame it immediately? It was fear. We don't recommend that you... And, and there were people on planes who were quite upset about it who were quite upset canceling their flights and so forth because they're not going to get on a plane unless everybody's wearing a mask. So it's a bit ridiculous. So I'm going to put a lot of that stuff in the show notes for you about this Mindspace program. It's, it is quite fascinating. And, and I just touched the surface of it. We, we could do two or three shows on this, but I like to introduce this stuff to you and then let you go down your own rabbit hole on it. Before we get on out of here, let's get into some of the news that's going on out there that I've had in my folders for a while because <laughs> there's a lot of things going on out there and we haven't really done a new uh, like a what's going on show. And maybe I'll do that uh, in in a couple of weeks. We'll do the what's going on in the world show because there's a lot of crazy things that are going on in the world right now and you're not hearing it on the mainstream medias. I know, surprise, right? Shock. So this I found fascinating. This is this is a real advertisement. This is going on over in England and soon to come to the United States. Hey, in this video, I'm going to show you how Walletmore implant works in real life. After ordering a drink, food, or any other product, all you need to do is tap in your hand to the payment terminal. Forget about the cash, card, or even a smartphone. All you need is your hand. Walletmore implants are biosafe, secure, ultimately convenient, and they are globally acceptable. Walletmore is a wallet of tomorrow. Get into the new era of payments and get your implant now. Yeah, don't forget to get your ID chip put into your hand. But that's a conspiracy, right? That's, that, that'll never happen. This comes to us from Fox 5 in New York. Chipotle tests tortilla chip making robots to combat labor shortage. A robot will soon be making your tortilla chips at Chipotle. Addressing his company's partnership with Chipotle, Michael Bell told Cavuto Coast to Coast Friday, the tortilla chip making robot will combat the labor shortage in the U.S. and suggested that automation is the solution. But robots aren't taking over anything, right? That's just a, that's a conspiracy. thought this was interesting. According to the Daily Clout, Says April 8th, 2022, Pfizer, 136 deaths and 1,625 serious cases of ineffectiveness revealed. We talked about that Pfizer is being made to reveal a bunch of their documents by a judge. They, they initially said, no, we can't put them out for 50 years, 75 years. Judge said, no, you got to start putting them out. Well, they're starting to come out. They're, they're coming out in dumps. And according to these documents... There were 16 serious cases of vaccine failure and 1,625 serious cases of vaccine ineffectiveness in their trials. According to Pfizer's internal documents that were released by the court order, 
Pfizer was aware that the vaccine was pushed upon America people and it had limited efficacy. According to the Pfizer document, COVID-19 is identified as an adverse event special interest with 3,067 cases of COVID reported after receiving the vaccine. From that number, there were 2,585 serious relevant events, including COVID-19 pneumonia, and 136 people died. So out of 3,067 in this group, 2,585 had serious relevant events and 136 people passed away. And they knew this. They also knew that the uh, efficacy was not very long. And I will put this in the show notes as well. I was going to do a whole show on this, but I assume everybody's heard about the absolute disaster of what's going on over in China with the, uh, the lockdowns of Shanghai. If you, if you have it, just however you do a search in your whatever search engine you use, just type in Shanghai lockdowns. And there are horrific, horrific videos of they, they locked the whole city down. Millions of people. 26 million people completely locked them all down. And when I say locked them in, I mean, they literally went around and locked the front and back doors of apartment buildings, condos. They put tape on doors all over the place so that if you open your door, they know it. They're dragging people into the streets. They're disappearing. They're taking little kids. It's insane. There's video of bags out on the corner where there are pets such as cats and dogs that they've rounded up and just thrown in these bags and they're, they're leaving them there to die or they're killing them. I've seen video of chasing dogs down and beating them with bats. It's insane. And this is all because of the Omicron that's hit over there. You know, when the initial COVID-19 hit, they claimed to have it all under control. They, they had their own vaccine that they put out to all their people. Apparently it's, it's woefully in, inadequate. And so Omicron's coming through. And is it bad? We don't know. We don't, like I tell my wife all the time, <laughs> I don't trust any, any news that comes out of China. However, there are people who are taking video of this and posting it online. There's people committing suicide. There's no food. It's an absolute disaster over there. So what, does, uh, what, what, do, what do people over here say about it? Because you know in quote, free countries, they would do this in a heartbeat. Let's see what Fauci has to say about it. How concerning is the outbreak in China? We see the lockdown in Shanghai and the State Department now ordering families out, all non-essential workers out of Shanghai. Well, China has, has a number of problems, two of which are that their complete lockdown, which was their approach, a strictest lockdown that you'd never be able to implement in the United States, although that prevents the spread of infection. And remember, early on, they were saying, and I think accurately, that they were doing better than almost anybody else. But lockdown has its consequences. You use lockdowns to get people vaccinated so that when you open up, you won't have a surge of infections because you're dealing with an immunologically naive population to the virus because they've not really been exposed because of the lockdown. Yeah, so let's break down what he said there. You use lockdowns to get people vaccinated. It's not about saving anybody. It's not about slowing the spread. You use it as a hammer 
And interestingly enough, he says there are two problems that China has. Not one of them isn't that their people are starving and that they're shoving people into camps and incarcerating them. And according to this one article I read, uh, one particular day there were 17,077 people in Shanghai who tested positive. Nine out of ten showed no symptoms of illness, yet they were all hauled off to these quarantine camps. And there's video of these quarantine camps, and they look like insane asylums. It's just a mat on a floor. No food. One toilet. It's a disaster. It's absolutely a disaster. But Fauci, you know, well, the big problem is we weren't able to do that here, is essentially the message that he's giving. And then there was this. We can always count on Bill Gates to give us some sort of creepy response. Bill Gates puts this video out. I want to wish everyone in China a very happy Lunar New Year. Just as the tiger symbolizes vitality and health, our foundation has continued to work over this past year. The recent troubling and highly contagious Omicron variant means the COVID-19 pandemic is not yet over. Since the onset of the pandemic, China has worked hard to not only contain the virus, but also contributed to closing the equity gap by supporting other countries with many different supplies, including great vaccines. I'm hopeful that by the end of this new year, the COVID pandemic will largely be over. I was also thrilled to hear the news that in June, uh, that the WHO had recognized China's remarkable success in defeating malaria, declaring the country officially free from the disease. So like many of you, I believe the world can become better. And I know that innovation and collaboration are key to getting there. I look forward to once again being able to travel to China to see all of you and this work in person. But for now, have a wonderful holiday and a very healthy and happy new year. Oh, yeah, I think things are going swimmingly well over there. And you want to visit China pretty much about right now. According to this article, the protesters who've been locked up and have no food have been screaming out their, their apartments, out their windows at night. We have no food to eat and we have eat, haven't eaten in a very long time. We're starving to death. There's video of one starving uh, lockdowner who rolled his refrigerator out onto his balcony and opened the doors to show that it was completely empty. And then there's other tragic events where people are just jumping off buildings and, and to their death. It's crazy. The ones who are sent off to the mass quarantine camps for testing positive COVID, these makeshift facilities often lack basic necessities. One video from Shanghai's New Hwai camp shows people fighting over limited supplies of blankets, water, and food. No one is exempt, not even small children. Hundreds of infants and toddlers have been separated from their parents after testing positive. One grieving mother complained on social media, I'm so upset this is inhumane. Of course it is. But they don't care. And we, I, I've played clips of, <laughs> of Bill Gates saying, yeah, China and Australia probably handle it better than anybody. So that is what they would really like for all of us. Fortunately, it hasn't happened. But given the opportunity, don't you think? I do.
And this, according to Yahoo Finance, worldwide social credit industry infrastructure to support social credit systems represents a 16.1 billion opportunity by 2026. So this is the only report of its type to assess market opportunities for infrastructure support of the social credit market. I did a whole show on here about the social credit systems. But what I didn't mention and what they put in this report were the companies that were mentioned. And so here are the companies who are pretty much on board with this social credit system thing. And this is who I think you should not be doing business with. This is all in alphabetical order. And some of them you've never heard of. But the ones that you've heard of are like Alibaba, Amazon, Apple, Bosch Security Systems, Canon, Cisco, Facebook, Google, Deep Vision AI, Honeywell, IBM, Logitech, Panasonic, Samsung, Sony, Texas Instrument, and Toshiba. According to this report, the COVID-19 pandemic has facilitated substantial interest in citizen monitoring solutions. Advanced computing will be used in conjunction with AI to provide nearly flawless identification and tracking. Various forms of biometrics will be used for identity verification as well as verifying the presence location of people. Social credit systems represent the ability to identify mostly people but also some things and track activities for purposes of grading behavior and applying social credit scoring. A given grading scoring methodology depends largely on social credit systems, objectives, and metrics. And it goes on. But it's a conspiracy. Don't worry about it. It's nothing you need to worry about. Also, from Breitbart News, a lot of talk these days about the coming food crisis. And this according to Breitbart. Nervous China pressures farmers to prepare for more crops. After weeks of insisting China has no serious concerns about food security despite coronavirus lockdowns and the Russian-Ukraine war, state media on Tuesday tacitly admitted farmers will need to make extraordinary efforts to avert a crisis. Because it is coming. Even the White House has warned. Oh, yeah, it's real. Uh, according to the IMF, the Inter International Monetary Fund, they warn of unrest amid food supply shortages. The IMF has become the most recent global body to release a warning regarding potentially forthcoming global food shortages, saying that vulnerable nations are at risk of civil unrest amid supply issues. According to Breitbart London, there was a quote, if you think we've got hell on earth now, you just get ready, said the World Food Bank executive director. If we neglect Northern Africa, Northern Africa is coming to Europe. If we neglect the Middle East, the Middle East is coming to Europe and the United States and everywhere else. That's going to happen. And that's why they want open borders. They just want to move everybody around. And if you don't think the social credit score system is in play yet, in a soft form. Well, here you go. Twitter user sentenced to 150 hours community service for offensive post. A Scottish man is being sentenced to 150 hours of community service after being found guilty of writing a grossly offensive tweet. So see you later, free speech. Can't have that. And then there's this. Report, Apple and Facebook handed over private user data to hackers posing as law enforcement. A recent report reveals that both Apple and Facebook provided private user data to hackers who posed as law enforcement officials. The hackers used forged emergency data requests to trick the companies into handing over sensitive information such as IP addresses and phone numbers for their targets. Yep, but all your stuff is safe on social media, so don't worry about that. 
Also, a report into the potential effects of implementing a cashless society has found that millions of people would be left struggling with many vulnerable people being heavily reliant on physical tender. A report published on Wednesday has found that a shift to cashless society would considerably disadvantage and disenfranchise millions of people and would also risk harming many vulnerable people reliant on physical notes and coins. However, the global elites at Davos, the World Economic Forum, are pushing heavily, heavily for the cashless society. Bill Gates, all of them. And speaking of the World Economic Forum, our friend Klaus Schwab says the time has come for world governments to unite as one and tackle global problems such as climate change, trade, and economic disruption without hindrance or delay. He says the impact of the fourth industrial revolution accelerates global change in a much more comprehensive and faster way than previous industrial revolutions. Despite all the challenges, we have to uphold the responsibility we have towards the next generation through collaborations on a national and global level. Our futures are intrinsically connected, and that requires collaborative responses. In his book, The COVID-19, The Great Reset, Schwab said, At the time of writing, which was June 2020, by the way, the pandemic continues to worsen globally. Many of us are pondering when things will return to normal. The short response is never. Nothing will ever return to the, quote, broken sense of normalcy, and prevailed prior to the crisis because the coronavirus pandemic marks a fundamental inflection point in our global trajectory. But it's a conspiracy. Don't worry about it. None of that is real. Or is it? According to this article, you'll own nothing and like it. Apple is working on hardware subscriptions for iPhones. Tech giant Apple is working on turning its iPhone and other products into a subscription-based hardware service sharing some similarities with a car lease. And I've done many shows on this where they are heading into everything is subscription-based. You will own nothing. Everything will be rented. You'll own nothing and be happy. Or better yet, they'll own everything and be happier. But it's a conspiracy. Don't worry about it. And I'm going to end with this because I've talked about the Internet of Things. I've talked about how they want to hook everything up into Wi-Fi service where everything you own is connected. And it's all part of keeping track of you, obviously. But more than just your phone, it's your car, your refrigerator, your microwave, your toilet. It's everything. Every little thing you have, everything you own in your house is going to be connected to the internet and it is called the internet of things and i've talked about the dangers of it well here's case in point this is from wired and this was dated april 20th 2022 the risk of relying on smart homes companies to keep the lights on last week the smart lighting company insteon abruptly shut down without issuing any warning to its users overnight its array of connected light switches dimmer outlets Wall keypads and smart home sensors lost the ability to connect to the Insteon servers. The company also shuttered its users' forums and wiped the leadership page from its website. The sudden move angered Insteon users who found themselves unable to control their home's lights with the mobile app. Some of the company's switches still work with the regular on and off light switches, but most models are bricked. Customers who attempted to reset their glitchy devices to, to the default settings found that after doing so, the devices no longer worked. 
According to Ben Wood, chief analyst at the CCS Insight, he says, this shows the perils of handing over the control of your house to a solution which requires a cloud platform. It is a decision that should not be taken lightly. <laughs> Hello, welcome to, welcome to reality. Wake up, everybody. And all this stuff is coming, and it's our job to not be a part of it. All right, well, that is it for me today. Brandon and I will be back on Sunday, and we're going to start a little mini-series on personalities in the truther movement. We're going to start with Bill Cooper, probably do Art Bell and a few others. But Sunday, we're going to start with Bill Cooper. It should be a fascinating time. If you've never heard of Bill Cooper, do a little homework between now and then. He made a lot of predictions, and uh, some of them came true. All right, everybody, have a great week. Uh, Email us, downtherh at protonmail.com, downtherh at protonmail.com. My name is Big D. Thanks for spending time with me, and we will see you back here on Sunday.